Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. And now let's jump right into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of All Things Marketing and Education. In this episode, I'm sitting down with Sean McCusker. He is the Senior Director of Professional Learning at EdTech Teacher. I sat down with Sean to talk about his passion, civic engagement. And we have another episode, the first half of this conversation, when we spoke with Sean in detail about his favorite tips and takeaways from the book he co-wrote, Becoming Active Citizens. We'll put that link in the show note if you're interested. But in this episode, we get into all things ed tech. Sean has a very robust career journey in ed tech from being in the classroom all the way up to being in research and evaluation to training educators. He's had so many vantage points within ed tech. So I wanted to pick his brain about what are the ed tech trends he's excited about? What's overhyped? How does he, when he was in a leadership position, actually pick the technology he wants to use? How does he prioritize? What gets him excited around the world of ed tech in K-12? All of those things. So you can see me and hear me just asking him and poking him. So what about this? What about that? And it's full of so much juicy things from a marketing perspective. So stick around. This is episode is not to be missed. A little bit about Sean before we get into it. Sean McCusker is an author, like we talked about. But what I didn't talk about is that his book, Becoming Active Citizens, is a recent winner of the 2022 Forward Indies Gold Award for Education. Look that up. It's a huge award. I reckon he was up against thousands of books for entries here. He had a famous column called The Tech Savvy Classroom, which appeared in Digital Learning Magazine, where he talked about what worked and didn't work in his classrooms from a digital perspective. In 2006, he was recognized as a finalist for the Golden Apple Award for Excellence in Teaching. In 2016, he was named a top trailblazing educator on Twitter by eSchool News. He loves to keynote. You will hear that in his voice. He is a very passionate, inspiring person. When I listen to him, I go, gosh, he can really talk to you about anything and, and convince you. And I'm inspired. But luckily, he is really talking about things that I also really love. Ed tech, how does he view ed tech? What does it mean to have ed tech relate to civics and all of those things? So I am thrilled to welcome Sean to all things marketing and education. Sean, welcome to the podcast. So excited you're here. And when I first met you in person at ISTE, I think it was funny to see Don Resigno's eyes. So Don is a friend of mine. He runs a teaching channel. And I worked alongside him, collaborated with him at Edutopia for years. He was one of my first clients and, and big supporters of me coming out and saying, I want to do something on my own. And for, 
for people that are in the boat of just side note of trying to do their own thing, I don't thank the people around me and my PLN enough for helping and supporting me. And Dawn was one of those people who said, I got work for you. Come work, you know? And so I started off with him. He gave me some intros, very big supporter. He brought you to our ISTE party and he's like, you guys don't know each other. And his eyes just went wide because we know the same people. We've just never physically met. A lot of the same people, right? Yeah. (laughs) They, I looked at our our LinkedIn, it was like 200 people in common. (laughs) Right. You know, what's funny about that is Don, Don played the same role for me. You know, you know, like I love the, the line from Mr. Rogers, like when things go bad and when things are hard, remember to look for the helpers. The helpers are always there. So when I was a young teacher getting started and really getting involved on social media, I just, I became an organizer for EdCamp Chicago, right? In the early days when it was hard to get supporters. Yeah. And both John and EdTech Teacher, where I currently work, were the people who regularly gave me funds to support the teachers and run that conference for years. When few people would, I could always count on them. And so, you know, I think that it's a big thing. We'll probably come back to this, but if you can be someone who helps make people's dreams and visions of what's better a reality, like put yourself in that spot. I think about that a lot. How am I helping others to grow and change education? Yes. And look for the people and inform your professional learning networks with the yes and and yeah. not, not the yes, but. Yeah. Because I can't tell you how many naysayers I got going out into my own. And it was so hard. And I heard all their critics and you're not going to do this and you're not going to survive. And all is like, aren't you worried? And then I had people like Don in my corner that were like, no, let's do this. This is awesome. This is so great. Here, let me help. So I think that's why I love our really beautiful place in education and how it intersects with community and professional learning networks and unconferences like EdCamps. I didn't know you did EdCamp Chicago back in the day. I was on the the West Coast doing EdCamp OCLA and EdCamp SFA. And it's it's just the power of surrounding yourself with positive people that are change-oriented and things. Mm -hmm. So much of it is proximity, right? So much of it is placing yourself next to the kind of people who will support you who are striving in that same way. You know, that's what social media, what the Twitter lightning in a bottle of early edu Twitter did for me was had all these people who were similarly coming up with ideas that might be unconventional, putting them into place and then making them real to make real changes in education. And, you know, like, for instance, like career changes, I've moved around in education and sometimes that's not the traditional way to go, but there were always people around saying this could be big, this could serve others, this can help people. And like those people supported me in making those changes. Like I've got a really good life and a nice career in education. So, you know, being around those people helps write that story in a way that you can look back on and be proud of. Yes. So why don't we dovetail into your journey a little bit? Because I think your journey as an ed tech professional and and an educator, it gives you this unique vantage point in the industry. So why don't you talk about how you got to where you are now and what do you do now? And then we're going to get into some fun stuff about what ed tech you like, you're excited yeah. about. That kind yeah. of stuff. So I was a teacher for 25 years in public, private schools as an administrator. My wife was a work-at-home mom, so I always taught extra teaching assignments at night. I taught alternative night school. People who were really challenged. I think working with those students who were non-traditional influenced me more than anything else. 
And because those environments didn't have a lot of resources, from the very beginning of my career, I used to go back to my hometown and garbage pick computers because they didn't have them in the classes where I was teaching, right? I, I taught in the second largest school district in the, in the state of Illinois. And so I would garbage pick these computers, get them up to speed, and I built a computer lab, right? And I built an a illegal under the underground wireless network, right? Well, then I had on the switch and I could turn it off with those Christmas tree switches where you hit a button and it turns the tree on and off. I turned off my network. But, but then I had to get rid of all of those computers because the district required a fire extinguisher and wouldn't pay to have it in my room. So I did a raffle and gave them away. But I think that's the beginning of where technology meant something to me and I wanted to make it possible. I won a couple of teaching awards and it allowed me to change jobs. And I ended up at my old high school. And when I was there, I was having kids use phones to text answer text questions to their parents and like collecting them, like try to make it transparent. And that led to the superintendent coming to visit me and ask me what I was doing with technology. And I thought I was in trouble, but that turned into him saying, what if I bought you iPads? What would you do? And I, I want to make it clear. I had no idea. I had a couple of dreamy things that I had in mind. But when he did that, I just, I, I leaned on my PLN on Twitter and came up with a plan and started just crying. I had a lab space that I was able to do that with, right? That whole district eventually converted to iPads. I got to be a part of that process. It was super exciting. But a key part of my story happens that he asked me, you have to share what you're doing. Can you create some way to share? So I created my first blog and I started publishing everything I was trying, whether it won or it lost. And that's really where my, my career takes a turn. I published a blog post, five unexpected changes of going one-to-one -one in the classroom. And it just kind of went nuts. Not for a long time, but for two or three days, it was like thousands of hits on my blog and people were calling me up. And that's the first time EdTech teacher asked me if I would present at their first iPad summit in Boston at Harvard University. So here I am, this suburban teacher who's just a nobody, just, I was faking, like trying things out. And I got to start traveling. So that eventually led over time to me getting into leadership, to me becoming an author, and to me getting a full-time job with EdTech Teacher. So I've been able to work with teachers at like 35 or 36 states at this point in person and travel across the country. I, I you know, I, I look back on it and I'm really excited about the way they've been able to work with so many teachers and try to support so many teachers. It's been a great ride. Yeah. And I, I love talking to people like you because you, you've done the work. You've been in the school. You, you know how hard and challenging it has been for so like for decades and then moving right. school systems. Yeah. Then being able to kind of switch gears and go, okay, how can I help, help even more teachers around the nation and having that bigger birds and advantage point that, that sets you up for kind of really looking at what is actually working. Right. So right. finding yourself in the right place at the right time isn't always something that happens, but when it happens, it's like synergistic. So I changed jobs. I was working with EdTech teacher. I took a job with Digital Promise, which is a nationwide nonprofit working to for equity and education with technology. And I started on March 1st of 2020, right? I spent three years with them, but the pandemic happened two weeks later. And we were, I was at an organization whose mission in this world is to provide technology to under, under supported, underfunded schools across America. I can't think of a better place to be right when that crisis happens. And so for those three years, we worked to provide these schools with technology, help them to, to use it and leverage it and build systems around it. You know, and I often think to myself, like, I'm not sure how I ended up in this place from like 
an underfunded school district in Illinois to being, you know, in charge of the central region, distributing all of that support for Digital Promise. But it was a, a great experience to be in that place at that time where you can offer that help to those schools. So, yeah, I'm very proud of that work. And I would say that what you talked about with your journey is that we all came from a place that, especially educators in the classroom, saying yeah. what I do is not special. Like my doors are closed. I actually can't compare myself to others. I'm isolated. And you were starting to open up a PLN and Twitter. So you're able to collaborate and kind yeah. of have a little bit. But most educators say, what I'm doing is not special. I don't need to talk about it, blah, blah, blah. And you can't, I can't tell you how many conversations I had with educators on Twitter that I said, what you're doing is awesome. Can you please blog for it? Yeah. And they're like, really? But yeah. what you said is like the, with the iPad thing, forcing yourself to go out there and be vulnerable and just say, hey, this worked. This didn't work. I get to reflect. So that daily pulse of reflecting really helps, you know, especially like even now, like doing this podcast or doing anything that you start with, you have to be okay with not not talking to a lot of people in the beginning. Yeah. And you're not doing it for that too. Like Gary V, one of the biggest marketers say like, generally, you know, he was on YouTube for two years before like he got any traction. Can you imagine showing up every yeah. day? And <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think a lot of the things that we get attention for are things that we could have gotten in trouble for at first, right? I got called to the principal's office for using phones and she's, I, I absolutely thought I was in trouble. And then she, they put a sign on my door that was like cell phones in use, right? Like pilot program because they were banned everywhere else. And so I was lucky that I had a leader who saw this is unconventional, but keep doing it. And then I, I like even my writing, I, I kind of stumbled into it. I didn't think I was a writer. I didn't think I had the skills to do that, but I've had these great opportunities. And, you know, the book that we wrote, began as a project where I had a boss, Tom DeCourt, who was the of the founder and former CEO of EdTech Teacher, just had a meeting with us and said, listen, we need to be full of passion. We need to be driven to do things that are creative. So 20% of your time can be devoted to any project that you want it to be devoted to. And so me and my friend Tom Driscoll, who's the current CEO of EdTech Teacher, just decided we wanted to work on civics. And it didn't make sense. There was no market. There's not a real big market for people to do civics. And, and I didn't think there was a big market to write a book on civic education, right? But we found its place and we keep plugging along and it keeps, it's like the little engine that could, right? It reaches people who need it. I didn't know all the people out there that needed it. I was just passionate about it. And I think you find your audience when you do it that way, right? And, and I guess the point that we, we started off with is this being around people who see value in that passion. Being around people who like will, will fuel that fire and they'll like protect the flame and not let it blow out when you're young and just getting started is a gift you can give yourself. Yes. And we talk to other people on this podcast around their career journey. And sometimes it ebbs and flows to being an educator, jumping into ed tech. Some yeah. people come back into the classroom. But what most of them say as a trend is, I just followed my heart and my passion because that helped drive where I wanted to go. I, I I still kept that educator mindset of being just a lifelong learner. Right. And wherever my deep passion was, it did lead me. And sometimes we have opportunities and timeliness, right? But that is where that beautiful arc of a career journey in education is and, and how you can be so many different things in education right. and different things. My, my parents always shudder a little bit. I've given up tenure at very good school districts three times. Right. Like not because I didn't value it, but because 
I believe that life is an adventure and you have to say yes to new adventures. And when you have an opportunity, I think it's perfectly acceptable to stay in one place and commit yourself to that place fully. But I always had this idea that I wanted to try new big things. And when those things present themselves, I, I have always pressured myself to say yes to get those opportunities. Right now in my career, especially in writing, I'm trying very hard to provide those opportunities for younger teachers as well, right? When I write articles, I try to incorporate other people who are younger in that field in, like, have them write an article with me. I'm on the IDEA, the Illinois Digital Educators Association. Like, IdeaCon is probably the conference you're all familiar with. I'm on the governing board. And I, the first thing I raised at the first meeting I was at was how do we incorporate younger educators who are doing things? There are a lot of people who get the spotlight. And I've been lucky to have enough spotlight and be asked to do keynotes in my career. I want to give that away, right? It was important to me. I valued it. It made a difference in my life. I want to make a difference in their life by providing that platform, right? Like you can put yourself on the stage. You can help put others on the stage. And I really want that to be this something that makes something that marks the, this last third of my career. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought that point up because we have both been in this circuit in this industry for a while. And it just felt like at a certain point, the connected educators that were forming their PLNs on social media were becoming more and more connected, getting more and more opportunities because they're blogging, they have more, you know, books, all of their keynoting. So they become more and more connected. And there's this big chasm in between for the unconnected and connected. And I've seen that. I saw that shift at ISTE. I saw great new voices, but it took about three or four, three to five years where I saw very unconnected. And I'm glad there were people like you thinking about that at panels and conferences. Yeah. I try to focus on promoting ideas, promoting my ideas rather than just promoting myself generically. I think that there's a measure of promotion that we all need to do with the work that we're doing. And I think that it's good to have those out there. But I tried to put at the core of my story, a new idea or a new cause or some, some focus that way. Because for me, it helps me to find a balance. I'm, I'm an extrovert with introvert tendencies, if that makes sense. Like I have a limit. And when I get to that limit, I need to power down, right? It helps me in those cases to focus on the concepts and the work that we're doing and lifting other people's work up when I'm in the public eye. Yeah. So let's get into ed tech, this wonderful, crazy up and down world of ed tech. Used it in the classroom at various levels with stakeholders. You've been at Digital Promise that has divisions that, you know, evaluate the efficacy of the products. Now train ed tech across the nation. So, I mean, there's so much we could talk about, but maybe to start, what are you seeing that's getting you excited personally in ed tech? And are there things or types or categories of ed tech that are resonating more with yeah. the ed peers around the nation now? You know, I feel like it took a long time. But I can boil down what the need for ed tech is for me very simply now. I look at all the new tools that come out, all the new platforms that help us do things, right? And I think the best educational tools help students find their own voice and their own identity most effectively. If it's a tool for teachers, it should help that teacher find out the truth of that student, where they are and where they need to go and help them to get there, removing those barriers, right? So transparency, but that data dashboard, whatever. But when it comes to tools, the tools that inspire me most are creation tools that capture student learning in their own voice. 
right? That it's this. I am a suburban white guy and I will always be a suburban white guy. And if I want my class to be diverse, I need to stop talking and allow others to speak the truth of their learning in their own voice. And if I do that, and if I give that to these people, like we have these categories of who people are, but those lines are blurred. If I can provide the student who is half Asian, half black, with the opportunity to tell the story about their historical journey and and tell how they learned in their own voice, then other people have a better understanding of that person, of, of the diversity of the world. And I think that tools that let you like create videos, create media, and share your story in ways that are consumable, put that out there, right? I want, like, you can Google some work that my students did and it's going to show up, right? I have a, a student who did a video 14 years ago that's still like the number one or number two video on Marxism if you go to YouTube, right? I'm, I'm so proud of them. That kid was an introvert who did not speak in class. Beautiful human who just didn't do busy, crazy environments and would never present in class. You put her on video and instead of doing a Venn diagram, she did a 12 minute video on Adam Smith versus Karl Marx. Like giving them the space to do that, to go outside of that and the leeway and, and the tools to make that happen. That's what I want. So when it comes to ed, ed tech in summary, it's the tools that allow students to find and share their voice and allow teachers to see the truth of who that kid is so that they can help them grow in their own unique way. Yeah. It's you. I ha- you got some giant head nods for me <laughs> and I got some goosebumps going because I was like, yes, yes. And when we get a little bit scared and attack about plagiarism and the introduction of AI, everything you're talking about comes directly from creation. And if it's AI becomes maybe, okay, maybe they use it to prep or become more efficient. But right. if, if you're doing it right, it actually is a moot point. Like we yeah. shouldn't really be worried about that if we're talking about critical thinking and and creators and then displaying their work in real life fashion. One cool niche in the work that I do is that I have a niche for schools that tried a program, it went horribly off or lost its way, and they will ask me to come in to work with them to kind of reset and focus, right? And I feel like oftentimes the places that are struggling, you can only fix what you're willing to face, right? And so when fear of something like AI presents itself, you can run away and you can avoid it, but you will ultimately have to face that. So helping people to run into those fears, to make sense of them, to find where they're comfortable and where they can do work, that's another big part of EdTech, right? The plagiarism issues just with the internet, right? There were schools who just said, well, just turn the internet off, if you remember that, right? Like, we're just not going to have it. Well, that's not really a viable solution right now. And I think the same is true of AI. AI, one, I think we overhype AI in a way, but that it is a big deal, like people say, right? There's a lot of fear and energy there. And you can either let that energy fester into something negative or turn that energy into something that's going to grow kids and help, right? So I think we need to, to understand it enough to make sense of the world as it's changing and really help people define their values with how they want to use it. But we can't run away from it. And I know for a fact that there are people that I will ask me to do work for them saying, we're not there yet. Please don't mention this, you know? And I, I, I think that's fair in the beginning, but I think we have to get past it ultimately. Yeah. And I think, you know, at ISTE, the conversations around AI were more diverse than I expected, which I yeah. like. I, I had conversations with educators that were scared 
I had educators that were like, yes, we're scared, but let's approach it with the learner mindset. And then I had educators going, it's going to change the world and I'm writing a book about it, right? But if we can just approach it with curiosity and not have that gut-wrenching reaction of, I'm going to ban it. Like with chat ET being banned and then, okay, we're not banning it. (laughs) And then then how do you do that? Because every tool I know of is adding it. It's in Google. It's in Mm -hmm. like... It, like all of the platforms that I work with with schools have some form of AI that's slowly growing within them. And I think that that's a trend that we're not empowered to stop, right? So let's prepare them for the realities of what's happening, right? It's, it's like this. I don't want it to rain on my kids when they go to the bus stop, but I provide them with like what to do if it does. And that's kind of what we need to do with these things. AI is an incredibly powerful tool. At some point, it's going to do some stuff that's gross or not good. So Let's help them understand, like, if that happens, what do you do, right? A good example of that, do you remember in the early days of one-to-one programs, people were like, well, what if my kid goes to something they shouldn't see? I'm like, well, let's talk about it. What do you do if you see something you don't see? And I always told the kids, close your device immediately, come and talk to me, tell me what happened so that when the technology says this site was accessed, you told me we addressed it, I can talk to your parents, everyone can see what's going on and be transparent and we're good. And I think that there's a similar thing works for AI. When AI happens, if something doesn't feel comfortable or you're not sure, let's have a conversation about it. Let's bring the parties in. Let's be transparent. Let's not try to hide it or be afraid. And cultures of fear hide things. And cultures that are like facing those fears bring them to the surface and they start creating solutions. And so in my ed tech experience, you've got to be that. You've got to be raising the challenges to the surface so that at least you've talked about them. And then the solutions will present themselves. Yeah, you're making me reminisce a little bit because back in my early Edutopia days, I got to know Vicki Davis as an educator. And we'll put her link in the show notes, but Vicki Davis is the tech-savvy educator. Mm-hmm. Her, back in the day, she was really focused on digital citizenship. But instead of being scared, she said, well, gosh, how can I use this as a benefit? And what she ended up doing is not only like becoming digital citizenship centered and having all the tools and and really embracing it, she made it into a mentorship program with older Mm -hmm. kids and they got badges for being digital and they taught little kids and it was this really cool thing that when kids are teaching other kids, it becomes part of the culture. Mm -hmm. It's just a way to like work within the fear and make it awesome. Teach the crisis, right? Like things present crisis, like teach the crisis. That's always the better solution. I'm a social studies teacher. Teaching the crisis is like in my blood. Anybody who's listening as a social studies teacher, how many times have you gone to school, watched the news, thrown all your lessons away and like lived in a crisis for a day, right? And I think that ed tech and Vicki Davis is a perfect example of that I, the number of times that I brought a resource that she shared on social media to school to help ease the fears of others, I probably couldn't count that. Well, and then now we see the introduction of like TikTok and AI and you know, Kathy Schrock jumping into AI and, and really showing that educators should be aware and playing and understanding the capabilities of technology mm-hmm. around so we can understand. And, and to your point of like leveraging it and saying, okay, let's let students create. Yeah. We got to not be the sage on the stage. We're, we're, we're shifting. Well, like I had that, the, I can remember the moment that I realized that I was well known as a teacher in my schools for putting on a show. I did backflips. I taught on rollerblades. I like tried to pour, I tried to pour positive energy in. I wanted to own the dinner table. And, but the way that I was doing this, I loved to tell a story and I can tell a good story. 
I realized at some point that I loved it so much that you have to give what you love away. I have to put them in a position where they're telling the story. I have to stop talking and let them enjoy the love of storytelling that otherwise steals all the air from the room. And when I made that shift, that went from me feeling like I was a good teacher to feeling like I was serving people well. I was serving people in a way that was changing people's lives. And I love that energy, right? And it meant I had to step back and do less, which is counterintuitive. But I feel like it's, it's something that we as teachers need to be able to do. And doing less is actually more difficult. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, knowledge, right? 30 years into teaching, try to be a, a teacher who's been teaching for 30 years, sitting in a room with five or six teachers who've been teaching for less than five years. Silence yourself and listen to what they're saying because they have perspective that you need that will connect you to a generation of kids that you won't be able to access unless you, you like, trust in the fact that they have something to offer you. But I think that's true for any classroom too. Any teacher who goes into a class and doesn't feel like they have something to learn from the, the 30, 15-year-olds that they're working with, you're not in the right headspace and you need to try and get there. Yes. Okay, let's, let's drill into a little bit more ed tech. We got some tools. Right now in the world of ed tech, generally you have not one tool that does one thing. You might have 20 tools that do similar things. Yeah. And for someone who teaches tech to other and recommends tech to other educators, helps different school districts implement tech on the digital promise side, you evaluated the efficacy mm. of the ed tech or the division yeah. and digital promise. How do you begin to pick? I got, I got two, maybe three finalists, like even just thinking about school communication in general, yeah. like hundreds yeah. of years, right? But what are the top three to five things that you look at that this product must have generic? Yeah. One, I want a product that allows for a student to present what they learn in creative ways. If they can't operate in text and written word, then does it allow them to share an audio, video, like multiple platforms for creation or sharing, right? To capture their voice. That's really big for me. Two, I want tools that are going to provide teachers with the real-time data to know what's going on behind the scenes, right? Like I love tool formative right now, I cooperate with them quite a bit just because when that tool first came out, it was just a quizzing tool. But now it has a back end of data that you can share with different groups. Like whoever needs to have it can have it. There's one school I was working with. They found a way to take all of their like formative assessments that their students were doing and make their counselors and special education teachers have full access to it. So when a student with learning difficulties goes down to their special education teacher, they can look across all their classes and see where are the learning objectives where they're most challenged without having to have a meeting with the teachers, without having that round table where all the teachers are like, well, here's what I'm seeing right now, right? And we have these measurable ways. So I think a good tool like clears away all the smoke and mirrors and gets down to brass tacks, what's the skill they need and what's in the way of getting it and simplifies that process. And if we do that, it makes the world of differentiation real because we know exactly where we're trying to aim. I, I think that like differentiation was something that I was known for in the classroom. I always worked in co-taught special ed, full inclusion classes, teaching social studies. And it's hard to make all the different opportunities and provide all of the different accommodations. So I try to make universal accommodations, but also use tools that would make it very clear to me who needed what and where I should put my work. You only have so much time. And 
anybody who doesn't understand our dysfunctional relationship in education with time really doesn't get us at all, right? We could do anything you want if we had enough time. And, and I think that those best tools are the tools that I think Newzella is another one that will show you exactly where kids are struggling with reading, right? And I, I, there's another tool that's kind of obscure. Nobody really knows about. It's called Kialo. Kialo is a conversation tool for civics. It structures conversations to make sure that kids can share concepts and ideas and they can communicate with each other in a controlled, safe way that doesn't make them feel like they're being attacked. It creates civil discourse and it, it just simplifies that process and, and levels the playing field for shy kids and kids with uh, learning disabilities or, you know, and I think that creating that equity is another piece that I want, right? So share their voices, give teachers what they need to really hyper-focus on what they, the students need and create a, 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 an environment of equity where people can stand as equals despite where they might be starting in their learning process. Yeah, and I like how you kind of, for the second point, you broadened it to say, it's not only for, for educators to have that insight, but you know administrators can look at a real-time view of like where are their kids as a whole struggling yeah. And maybe it's an opportunity to engage parents as learning partners as well, and not in a, I got you, this person's struggling mode, but really in an analytical, hey, let's, let's get ahead of this. Ultimately, That's- the transparency is so good for us. It can be hard because you have to face things that we see, but when you have a parent who's aware of what's going on at any moment, when you have that data available to people, it makes it a lot easier for us to have a conversation and say, what we really need to do is face this challenge, right? So I think that, that that's really where educational technology delivered on its promises, you know? So speaking of ed tech, maybe my wrap-up question when we're talking about ed tech is, gosh, there's a lot of moving and shaking in ed tech. From a vendor standpoint, they went through the pandemic, tried to be as helpful as possible, mm-hmm. allowed their product to be free, have gone mm-hmm. through weird stage of, okay, now it's not free because there's a lot of cost associated with it. Now districts are saying, gosh, we're using a lot of technology. How do we pare down the technology? How do you maybe give some advice to some ed tech vendors on how can they navigate this this coming school year? Is there any tips or tricks or advice? Or I know it's a broad question, but you have such great knowledge that you can take it wherever you want to. Like, Hey, make sure you're all accessible. I don't care what advice you give. Right. Well, when you go to ISTE and you walk through their vendor room, there's so many things that are niche. Like this is this product. It's probably a great product, but it's not a need that I'm trying to address. So you kind of walk past it. And I always go through looking for some of the tools that could really make an impact, right? And I think, I, I think it's always hard for people who are creating tools to market them and understand what will make them readily accessible to schools. There's two that I really liked at ISTE that I, I want to see them succeed. One of them is ZSpace. ZSpace is VR technology with no headset. You just look at the computer and it tracks your eyes and it creates a 3D representation. And I think that as soon as you create a device that can do that and you can make it economical, you could put VR into every classroom in that way, right? I love VR, AR, VR technology, but a lot of times when you talk about it, somebody comes, a vendor comes and tries to sell you $30,000 worth of a lab. But I don't think, I think the tools we use every day that are sitting in the classroom are the ones that are really going to impact kids. So 
I think Z space is one of those possibilities that could be really important. What's hard is just trying to get them to see that a really, really expensive single unit isn't going to fly, right? How do I put one of those everywhere or somewhere else? And I, but I, but I think that, you know, if we want quality technology in our classrooms, we have to work with those vendors to talk about what would, what would make it viable, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's hard because it's expensive when new technology comes out, right? Yeah, I thought a lot of that. Then that was really well put. Is like I saw exciting technology, and I did stop by Z Space, and they blew my mind. And yeah, you know, right, I hanging out at the Meta booth and playing around with the the, the Oculus headset, yep. Meta Quest. But I'm always going to logistics of like, how do we deploy this, and how do we have mm -hmm. equal access, and are we at that point? And we could actually have been having this conversation. Technology aside, has been advancing. We were having that conversation ten years ago at SD as well. Yeah. Always, right? So yeah. a good example, that's the Apple Vision Pro, their new headset. Yeah. It's $3,500. Very few schools can scale that up. You might have one of them as a demo piece of uh, technology, right? It's not really viable in large scale right now. But over time, as that technology develops and becomes cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, I could absolutely see that transforming things, right? Imagine a headset that for a student who can't process text, is going to provide them with a heads-up display of supports for reading, visualization, right? A student who has hearing difficulties. I'm slowly losing my hearing, and I think about this all the time. For students in the class who've had this problem, if you could have a heads-up display that just automatically put like uh, subtitles on their day, imagine the ability for you to fit in and just be part of what's going on and not have to have something special or odd following you around or some... like like different experience that sets you apart, right? So I really think that the Apple Vision Pro is something that can be very powerful when it scales to a point where it's viable for the classroom, for students, for, you know, the average person doing their job. And I really think that that's going to be part of the work for, like the world of work, right? VR headsets. I saw an example of a, a nuclear power plant that used VR headsets to annotate all of their systems in the nuclear power plant, and I was blown away. It'll tell you when any single part was changed in the entire building just by walking through and clicking on it, right? That, that's crazy. So I think that the challenge for program, like there's another one called Lectech. They build kits that help kids build scooters and skateboards that are motorized. And you have to do all the wiring and all the building. And, and I think that's so super cool, right? But how do you incorporate that in a viable way so that 35 kids in a class get that experience? Right. Or every kid at that school is going to get that experience. And, and I hope they find it out because I think saw the excitement of educators standing by that booth building. Tell a kid you're going to build him a skateboard. Man, that kid's in. They're going to learn about electricity and everything else, voltage, whatever you need. So that's the kind of stuff I look for and kind of dream of becoming ubiquitous in our schools. Yes. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for your time around EdTech. I would love, I'm sure this is the beginning of many conversations <laughs> around EdTech because it is, it's ebbing and flowing all of the time. And our educator needs and our school needs are changing alongside it too. So I appreciate your thoughts, especially because you have this unique vantage point of, gosh, does this work? No, I trained this in schools. No, I've been in schools. <laughs> so I appreciate you so much. Thanks everyone for listening to this week's episode. 
If you love what you heard, if you are intrigued about learning more, you can get Sean's book. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Or if you'd like to get in touch with Sean, Sean is available on social media at Sean, S-H-W-N, McCusker, M-C-C-U-S-K-E-R on Twitter and all of the socials. We'll put his email and everything else for his contact information in the show notes. And the show notes this time are located at leoniconsultinggroup.com backslash the number 56, five, six. So go there, listen to the audio, get the transcript. You can figure out ways to buy the book, dive deeper into the subject matter. I really hope that this opened your eyes on what civics is and what it can be and how it can translate to other disciplines and subjects. It was so fascinating for me. I am still reeling from this conversation. I hope you continue the conversation with him and reach out to us if it's changed your practice. We will see you next time on All Things Marketing and Education. Take care, everyone.